kind of a, a rare Sunday. Halloween does not fall on a Sunday very often. The last time that it did was in 2010. The next time it will is 2027. And so I figured I'd take the opportunity uh, to, to talk about the subject today that I most closely associate with Halloween. Candy, of course, right? A whole sermon on candy. <laughs> no, that's for the children's sermon. Uh, there will be plenty of candy, by the way, at Trunk or Treat. I know many of you are participating in that, so thank you for that. I'm actually talking about fear. Now, that's what I associate most closely with Halloween, as in intentionally frightening ourselves with horror movies and books and haunted houses and jump scares and that kind of thing. That's what I think of when I think of Halloween. That may be because my generation grew up on the Halloween movie franchise. Um, <laughs> the first movie about the supernaturally indestructible character Michael Myers came out in 1978. I was planning on showing the original movie poster, but it was a little bit creepy, so I decided not to. Incredibly, there have been subsequent movies in that Halloween movie franchise in literally every decade since, <laughs> with the 12th installment in the theaters today, if you wanted to go out this afternoon and watch. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but because uh, it's probably not very good but is in the theaters now. And I always found those, those Halloween movies, the Halloween movie franchise, to be much more silly than scary. Uh, when it comes to movies that truly scared me, there are three that stand out from three distinct periods of my life, three movies that I watched only once. Uh, once was enough, I'll never watch them again. Now, if you like scary movies, you may have your own list of the scariest movies, see if it compares to mine. Mike and I were talking before the service. I already know one of these is not on his list, but that's fine. I'm the one preaching. Okay. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the first was when I was in junior high. So my buddy Eric Smith had a sleepover party. A bunch of us stayed over at his house. This was the, the first and really one of the few times in my life I stayed up almost all night, paid for it on Saturday, hated it. But Eric's dad uh, stayed up late with us. He told us a bunch of ghost stories and then he let us watch The Shining. Ooh, it had just come out on home video. Uh, I think he had, honestly, a beta or a laser disc. Some of y'all remember those formats. And this was the least creepy image that I could find from that movie. <laughs> I tried to read the book a few years ago. I'm talking about like three years ago, by the book by Stephen King. But as soon as I got to some of those scenes that I remember from the movie, I had to put the book down. True story. I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to that kind of stuff. Okay. The next movie that legitimately scared me when I was, uh, was when I was in a freshman in college. We rented this, The Exorcist, uh, in the dorm. We watched it Halloween weekend. Now, by the time I was in college, this was uh, 15 years old, this movie. But somehow, for me, this is the one Mike thinks is silly. For me, the primitive special effects were extremely effective. Uh, it is still the scariest movie I've ever seen, and I have no intention of, of figuring out if it stood the test of time, because I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> the third movie that scared me truly, I saw as an adult, when my wife Whitney and I went to see The Sixth Sense in the theater. I had no idea what this movie was about. I had not read anything about the big reveal. I've never been so surprised by a movie or creeped out. Now, it used to be that I loved watching movies that scare me at this time of year, not so much anymore. I used to find fear to be very thrilling. I feel differently about that now. Whatever the reason, fear is not my jam. 
As it turns out, you may know this, Scripture has quite a bit to say about fear. And if ever there was a day to talk about fear, surely Halloween is it. And we're not going to have this opportunity for another six years, so that's what we're talking about today. A few years ago, Adam Hamilton wrote a very helpful book, I thought it was very helpful, called Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times. We have, we have that in our church library. If your uh, Sunday school class or book club is looking for a book and you've not read it yet, it's a, it's a good one to try. And in that book, he points out that one of the most frequent instructions in the Bible is fear not. In one form or another, these words appear in uh, over 140 times in Scripture. Don and I were talking after the first service. Uh, it's a big part of the Easter story. It's a big part of the Christmas story. Fear not is something that comes up over and over again, which is a good thing, it seems to me, because fear is rampant in our world. The rather innocuous jump scares that come from a good thriller or a horror movie are, are, are one thing, but the list of things that we truly fear is pretty long. Uh, you know, the pandemic, for example, brought uh, a whole host of medical and social and economic fears to hundreds of millions of people around the world. And I, I don't want to get too prophetic on a fun, Halloween, a fun holiday like Halloween, uh, but I do think that there are lots of people who are pretty invested in keeping us afraid. <laughs> right? Um, politicians across party lines, this is not a shot at Democrats or Republicans, politicians across party lines benefit from our fear. You know, sometimes it seems as though half the country at any given time is fearful about the direction of the country, almost always, not coincidentally, when their party is not in power. And there's this, this famous truism in media that I'm sure you've heard, if it bleeds, it leads. The headlines designed to grab our attention are the ones that warn us about the latest existential threat. If, if you read enough or watch enough news, you know, it seems like the apocalypse is coming at us from all sides all the time. Uh, murder hornets, I think, was the most recent thing I was supposed to be really afraid of. <laughs> right? You remember that? I mean, they may be a thing, but they're not here yet. Now, some of our fears are, of course, legitimate. Many of our fears are exaggerated. Some of our fears are even exploited by those with hidden agendas. So what does our faith have to, have to say about it all? Well, to help us with that, we're going to be turning to the opening verses of the book of Joshua. As we pick up the story, uh, Moses has led the people to the edge of the promised land. Uh, he was not able to cross the Jordan for reasons we don't have time to get into today. He uh, had died, he'd gone on to glory, and Joshua, Joshua is the new leader of God's people. Our passage this morning is God talking to Joshua, commissioning him for his new gig. So this is Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. I'll come back and read a few more verses later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. 
as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as the book of Joshua begins, there's plenty uh, of cause for fear at the, kind, at the group level for, for God's people as a whole. The Israelites had legitimate anxiety about what awaited them across the River Jordan. They were on the cusp of entering the promised land after 40 years in the desert, which meant that two entire generations had been born during their wilderness journey, people who had not known slavery in Egypt, people who had heard all the glorious stories their whole lives about what awaited them in the promised land. But they knew that the conquest of the land would almost certainly lead to war and bloodshed and suffering, no matter how wonderful the promise, claiming it would certainly come at a cost, leaving the familiarity of the desert, uh, the fear of the unknown, as they prepared to cross the River Jordan, had to have been heavy. And their leader, Joshua, had plenty of reasons to feel anxious himself, if not downright afraid, Having been Moses' right-hand man for decades, he was handed on the mantle of leadership. Moses had, had led the people for 40 years, over 40 years, and of course he had become this legendary figure. So the questions going through Joshua's mind had to have been numerous. <laughs> Could Joshua measure up? Could he be a leader in his own right out of the shadow of the greatest prophet of the Old Testament? Did he have it in him? Would the people follow him? Would they stick with it, even with the new guy in charge? Look, I may be projecting a little bit here. <laughs> because believe me, following a beloved leader who's been at the helm for four decades is no small task. He was at the 845 service today. <laughs> and we can only imagine what, what fears were harbored by each individual person on the banks of the Jordan waiting cross. Each of them was on the cusp of, of a new era in their own lives with a tremendous amount of uncertainty waiting on the other side. What conflicts lie ahead? What would need to be built in the days, months, years ahead? How would they build it? Would they be up to the task or would they shrink when confronted with the inevitable conflict of what God was calling them to do? Would, what should they fear <laughs> that they didn't even know about? yet. When I read this story about uh, the uncertainty of God's people as they prepare to do a new thing, what comes to mind to me in this moment of our collective life is the, the post-pandemic world and specifically the post-pandemic church. I was at a conference this week about the future of the United Methodist Church at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas. There were 700 clergy and laity from the largest Methodist churches in the U.S. Chris Korst, who chairs our church council, was there with me. And as we started the, the conference, we recapped all of the challenges facing us all in this moment, specifically in the context of the church. It was actually kind of comforting to hear that everybody's asking the same questions and wondering the same things. In every church in America, there's a significant amount of uncertainty about when or even if everyone will be back on campus again. There's a fair amount of uncertainty about how best to be in ministry with the uh, growing online church. There's even some fear and anxiety that things will never go back to, to normal, 
at least not the normal we understood pre-pandemic. And if that turns out to be true, what will the new version of the church look like? How will we build it? Who will be here to build it with us? Will we be up to the task? Fears and anxieties not unlike those that the Israelites faced on the banks of the River Jordan as they prepared to inherit the Promised Land. The truth is uh, that we all have fears and anxieties, whether or not we want to admit it. I frequently do not want to admit it. If we all sat down and, and wrote them out, I wonder what that, that list would look like for each of us. For some, it's the, the fear of economic uncertainty. For some, it's the, the fears that come from strained or broken relationships. For some, it's the uh, fear about a medical diagnosis that's brought us to our knees. We have fears about the future of our planet, our nation, our community, our congregation, the United Methodist Church. The truth is, fear is just an inescapable part of the human condition. It's only the details that change from generation to generation. Thankfully, Scripture has some encouraging words for us in the face of our fears. Words that God shared with Joshua as he prepared to do a new thing. Listen again, friends, for God's word. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you. <laughs> it's a commandment. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. That's a good one. Some of our fears we're keenly aware of. Some are kind of background anxiety that eats at us constantly. Some of our fears are about uh, the big things, the state of the world, the future of our nation, the post-pandemic church. Some are fears that we share with a group. Some are fears related to a specific role that we're playing in our lives. Some are intensely personal depending on something that's going on right now for us. Joshua and the Israelites certainly had such fears as they stood on the banks of the River Jordan on the cusp of something that they had long dreamed about, but that they were certain was fraught with challenges. And God's message is clear. Have faith first, have it. <laughs> Keep the faith and fear not, for I am with you wherever you go. That's God's message to us in every time, in every place, in every circumstance, whether our fears are about something very real and immediate or something that we've exaggerated that's far off in the future that may or may not happen, whether the thing that we fear comes true or remains this unfulfilled threat that we end up spending way too much time worrying about, whether our fears involve a group or a specific role, or something intensely personal going on in our lives in the moment, even if we're just watching a scary movie and we need reassurance that everything's gonna be okay. 
God's message to us has remained constant from the call of Abraham to today, and it will be the same until Christ returns someday in glory. Have faith, keep the faith, fear not, for God is with us. Now, as people of faith, we're not naive. We know that that does not necessarily mean that things uh, will turn out the way we want them to. In every case, we are well aware that that's not the way life works. Sometimes the thing we fear is indeed fulfilled. Sometimes, Sometimes things do indeed turn out just as bad as we had feared. That's reality, of course. But it does mean that however things turn out, God is with us through it all. And because that is true, it will be okay because God is with us all will be well somehow some way in this world or in the world to come that is the source of our hope and our courage and it is the great the great promise of our faith as I close on this rare Halloween Sunday I figured I'd return to a a Halloween kind of theme at Perkins School of Theology everyone who's studying to become a pastor uh, is required to take this year-long course called Interpretation of the Christian Message. You study all aspects of Christian theology uh, over the course of a year, and at the end, the, the project is to write something called a credo, which is a 30-page summary, I mean, kind of a Cliff's Notes version of your understanding of the Christian faith. I loved this project. And every year, the course is co-taught by two professors who have a very different theological perspectives. The idea is that students should be able to learn from people who disagree. And these faculty have been on staff together for a long time, so they have a way of mixing it up and arguing uh, respectfully, but pretty clearly. And the year I took it, it was taught by a professor named uh, Karen Baker Fletcher and her colleague, Dr. Billy Abraham. Now, Karen is extremely progressive, like she is very far to the left. Billy, who just recently went on to glory and whose funeral was celebrated just yesterday at Highland Park United Methodist Church, was an Irish conservative Orthodox theologian. And as you might imagine, um, they had very different views on the vast majority of, uh, (laughs) sorry, that's good, that's a good look. I'm so distracted. I very rarely get distracted, but that's, that's a good look. The, the costume. I assume that's a costume. Sorry, if it's not a costume, I apologize. <laughs> anyway, as you might imagine, they disagreed on a whole host of subjects, but on one particular subject, um, their theology and their experience was surprisingly similar. It was the subject of evil, uh, which is one of the most challenging subjects that Christians in any context face, whether we're laity or pastors or professors or whatever, evil is a tough one. And the way the class always went is that one of the professors would take the first half and lay out their theology, another, the other professor would take the second half and lay out their theology. Billy went first this particular day. And he told us about an exorcism that he had participated in. And many of us in the, in the big lecture hall kind of started murmuring skeptically about the the notion of a modern Methodist exorcism. But Billy, in his incredibly charming Irish brogue, said, look, I'm not going to try and do his accent, but I'll tell you what he said. He said, look, we Irish people, we believe in the little people. Like, we Irish believe in this kind of stuff. If you Americans don't, that's your problem. (laughs) 
And then when he was done, Karen told us about an experience that she had about being followed down a street one dark night by somebody who really seemed to have ill intent. Turned out okay, she got home okay. But she said that, that he seemed to be spiritually troubled. And while she, she stopped just short of saying that this person was some kind of manifestation of evil, uh, she did come to the same theological conclusion as Billy did. That the darkness in this world, however we understand it, that the pain in this world, that the anxiety and uncertainty in this world, in short, all of the things in this world that fill us with fear pale in comparison to the power and the glory and the grace of the God revealed in Jesus Christ. And they were both convinced from different theological perspectives that our faith in him assures us <laughs> that all will be well somehow in this world or in the world to come. It's the very same promise that God made to Joshua on the banks of the River Jordan. It's a verse worth underlining in our Bibles, I think. Be strong and courageous is the command. Do not be frightened or dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thanks be to God for that.